Well, I am excited about this evening. In our teen class, we have been going through a series called Christian History. And it's kind of a broad term, but I don't know when we started it. It must have been earlier this year, I think. Uh, maybe during the summertime, I don't remember. But we started a series where we went, we started back in AD 312, and we started talking about Emperor Constantine and sort of the, the beginning of, sort of uh, took off after when Acts is finished, after the Apostle Paul is off the scene and the apostles are no longer there. What happened to Christianity? Where did it go from there? And we uh, went into a little bit of history and how uh, a little bit of Baptist history, you might learn it in college, in Bible college. And it's kind of we snaked through history a little bit and how the Christians and the Baptists and the Catholic Church was at war with, and then there's the Inquisition and all kinds of um, little historical things. Then we get into the Protestant Reformation in the 1400s and uh, Martin Luther with his 95 Thesis. And from there, we've got uh, a whole bunch of little stories that take place, Christians that stayed faithful to God throughout this time. And we eventually get to where the uh, pilgrims would sail across the New World here into America back in uh, whenever time that was, early 1600s, late 1500s, uh, with Christopher Columbus and, and uh, the pilgrims and all that stuff, and sort of how Christianity, the foundation, began. And the last month or two, we've been really looking at missionaries, missionaries of, I, I guess you could say modern missionaries, but missionaries going back to the 1700s. And we looked at, and I, I should have, I do have a PowerPoint for our, our missionary tonight, but um, I, I should have put some review on here to test, uh, test some of the adults here, their knowledge, because uh, I, I have a feeling, um, I have a feeling most adults probably don't even know a lot of the information we were talking about. Patrick remembers everything, though, to a T. He, uh, he, in fact, I should ask you some of these questions, right? Maybe Dennis, too, I should ask you some questions. He's saying, please don't. So a few things. Um, we, we, uh, our first missionary that we talked about was a missionary to the, he was really one of the first missionaries, but he was a missionary to the natives in America. And back in the 1700s, anybody, uh, anybody want to take a guess as to who I could be talking about? David Brainerd, that's right. David Brainerd, one of my dad's all-time favorite uh, missionaries. Well, we looked at David Brainerd, and uh, he, was, he lived a, a kind of a lonely life. He was all by himself, and uh, interesting story with uh, David Brainerd there. Um, I'm not going to go in order per se, but we looked at some other missionaries. We looked at a missionary to Burma. Anybody recall famous missionary to Burma? Patrick has a big smile. I don't think it's a good big smile, though. What were you saying, Ivan? Adonai Judson. Adonai Judson to Burma. Looked at the missionary. Uh, let's see here, off the top of my head. A missionary to Tahiti, back in the 1800s. Missionary to Tahiti, Henry Knott. You remember that, Dennis? No? Henry Knott. He's like, yeah, of course I remember that. Henry Knott. Um, I should have did a PowerPoint. That would have been kind of fun to see what we remember. Okay, how about uh, a missionary to China? We talked about a couple of those. Anyone name one? What was that? Hudson Taylor, that was uh, one of our first ones we did. Hudson Taylor, famous missionary of China. We'll talk about another one. Who actually, he actually has Canadian roots, his family. 
his, some of his lineage is still li living here in Canada. I think I heard it. Yes, Jonathan Goforth was one. So we talked about a lot of different missionaries, Amy Carmichael, uh, William Carey, and we've had a lot of fun with it. But today is actually the, the finale of our series. This is, the, this is it. So you get to enjoy our last missionary. And it, it works out perfectly because next Wednesday is missions, uh, well, I should say two Wednesdays from today is our missions conference. So it's, um, which by the way, next week is a quiz. For all you teens watching, hopefully your teens are online watching right now. Uh, there's a quiz next week over our missionaries. Well, today we come to, he's really one of the most recent of the, um, I guess, missionaries. Not most recent, because we have very recent missionaries who are very much alive and on the field today. But from what we would consider from a famous standpoint, he's the most recent. And our story takes place, and I got the PowerPoint here. Is it uh, ready to go? Yes, Jim Elliott's missionary, Jim Elliott. He, uh, in fact, as we get into the story and life of Jim Elliott, if you could turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And for those teens watching as well, as soon as our message is done here in the offering, we're going to continue on with our teen class a little bit later on, so stay tuned. But if you could turn to Matthew chapter 6, and in verse 19, read a couple verses here, a few verses actually. Matthew 6 and verse 19. I'll just read it for you. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And before we get into the life of Jim Elliot, I would like us to open in prayer. And as I pray, ask the Lord to speak to your heart and uh, on how we can be better for him. Lord, thank you for today. I pray for our, our message today. It's more of a sort of a biography, but uh, definitely ties into some very heavy spiritual things for us to consider today. And I am so grateful for the life of Jim Elliott. And there's many other people uh, directly connected to him that we'll be looking at as well. And uh, Lord, I just pray, help us to learn from, from him, from his example. And uh, we thank you for you being the ultimate example for us. So, Lord, use this message now, we pray in your name. Amen. Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, in January 2nd of 1956. Anybody here born in 1956? Got one hand in the back. 1956. Um, shouldn't have said one hand. You know, do we have uh, a hand? Uh, it doesn't matter. So, in, uh, in 1956 was the day that Jim Elliott turned 29 years old. And it was a day that he had waited for his whole life. He jumped out of bed that morning, dressed as quickly as he could, and got ready for the short flights over the thick Ecuador jungle. Almost three years of jungle ministry and many hours of planning and praying led him to this day. Within hours, he and four other missionaries would be setting up camp 
in the territory of a dangerous and uncivilized Indian tribe known then as the Aquas, known nowadays as the Wahadini. Wahadani. Wahad, doesn't matter, but that's what they're known as today. The Aquas were known for their fierce violence in this area, and even though it was dangerous, Jim Elliot had no doubts that this was the day that they were going to hear about Jesus Christ. Well, Jim Elliot grew up not too far from here. He actually grew up in Portland, Oregon. Jim Elliot listened carefully as visiting missionaries would talk about life on the mission fields far away. He would ask them questions and he would dream about being a missionary himself someday. It made him sad that so many people in other countries died without knowing about God. Now, Jim Elliott, he enrolled at Wheaton College in the fall of 1945 and graduated four years later as a Bible major with, high, with the highest of honors. In the, the fall of 1949 was a heady season for neo-evangelicalism. And it was around this time that a famous evangelist began to arise known as Billy Graham. You may be familiar with Billy Graham. He actually graduated six years before Jim Elliot did from the same college. And it was around this time that he would be make, uh, um, Billy Graham would be making his crusades around, uh, around the globe. And it was during one of these crusades, it was on October 28th, 1949 to be exact, that we could find in Jim Elliott's journal, him penning in the journal a what would be considered today his most famous quote of all time. Perhaps you've heard this many times. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. More on that quote a little bit later on. On February 2nd, 1952, Jim Elliott waved goodbye to his parents and boarded a ship for the 18-day trip from San Pedro, California to Quito, Ecuador, South America. He and his missionary partner, Pete Fleming, first spent a year in Quito learning to speak Spanish. Then they would move to another village called the Shandia. It was a small uh, Indian village to take, place, uh, to take the place of a retiring missionary. So they were excited to learn Spanish. In fact, they were so adamant in learning the language. Uh, according to what we read here, Jim Elliott and his partner within six months knew Spanish well enough to be able to preach and teach in it almost fluently. Six months. Their hard work paid off. Some of us have been learning English our whole life, and we still can't, we still can't do well in it. English is just a hard language. Spanish uh, was one language they conquered, but when they moved to the area that this retiring missionary was in, they had to learn another dialect, but because of their fervency, they were able to master it within no time. About a year later, Jim Elliott proposes to what would be his wife, Elizabeth Howard, on her 21st birthday. And uh, several months later, about eight months later, they were married in a civil ceremony in Quito on Jim's 26th birthday. Eventually, they would have a daughter whose name it was, is Valerie. 
And that's her as a baby right there. She was born February 27th, 1955. We're coming back to Valerie a little bit later on. But the Lord was blessing Jim and uh, his partner, uh, Pete, as they were trying to learn Spanish, learn the language, and do what they can to reach people for Christ there in the Ecuador area of South America. Well, around this time, there was a lot of turmoil with a specific uh, a group in the South American part of Ecuador. Many of the uh, Quitos had become faithful Christians. Jim now began to feel it was time to reach a group of people known as the Aquas. The Aquas were a very violent group of people. They had killed several workers that were working at an oil site near, nearby, and they were it got to a point where the oil workers didn't want to work anymore, and the government was about to move in and use some harsh, drastic measures in order to stop these aquas from killing, even if it meant uh, removing them from their homes and lands and fighting back. Well, Jim and four other Ecuador missionaries had an idea, and they, with the help of the government, actually asked if they could go in and try to make peace with the aquas. Now, their plan, of course, was to give them the gospel. Because Jim and his friends knew if there was one thing that would stop these aquas from being violent, it was Jesus Christ. And they were given passage. They were given rights to do so. Jim and one of his, of his four friends, one of them is a guy by the name of Nate Saint. Nate Saint was a missionary uh, pilot, a missionary supply pilot. He came up with a way to lower buckets filled with supplies to the aquas on the ground. So they were violent, so they didn't want to just land their plane and just start witnessing to them. In fact, there was a, a little girl in their village that Jim and his missionaries were living in who spoke the language of the aquas. And oh, I don't think she was a little girl, but she was younger. She was helping them learn phrases and things in their language. So they would literally, they would get in their plane and they would fly around and they had a loudspeaker from their airplane and they would be basically yelling out phrases in their language, trying to be friendly and they would drop these supplies down for them in these parachutes, these little parachutes. They would land, and they would do this several times for several weeks to try to let them know that they were friendly. Eventually, Nate found a, a beach that looked well enough to be their nearest landing strip. It was about four miles from where the aquas were. So they began to, through their loudspeaker, yell out these phrases saying, there's a, a, there's a beach about four miles away. Meet us there. Meet us there. And eventually the day came where they would land for the first time with, these, these, uh, with the aquas. Well, the day came. They were excited. They, Nate, with his skill, was able to land on this beach successfully. And they waited. They waited for the aquas to show up. They had hoped that their message was getting across, that their friendliness was where they needed to be. And after some time, eventually, some of the men from the city began to come through the, through the brush. 
And really, for the first time, as far as we know, these are the first people to ever really make true contact with the aquas in a nonviolent way. And face to face, they were able to talk and exchange more gifts and was able to roughly communicate in their language. And all they were trying to do was just be friendly to them, just to make peace. Well, their first endeavor, their first contact seemed successful. They got back on their plane and they headed back home. And they were rejoicing in the Lord that they had made friendly contact. Now, as they continued on with the language, they were excited to make their second trip. A few weeks later, they were excited to make a second trip where they would land. And this time they would help and they would share the gospel with them. And as excited as they were, they got on their plane they uh, dropped some more gifts, and they yelled out some more phrases in their language, and they were able to land on that strip of beach, and they waited for them to come. This time, it took a little longer for them as they waited, and they waited. And they had some two-way radios that they would use, and they would contact their family back at home at certain points during the day to make sure they were safe. And on this uh, second trip here to the Aquas, as many of us probably know the story, Two ladies, two of the, of the ladies of the Aquas, uh, walked out of the jungle. Jim and Pete were excited. And they jumped into the river and waded over to them. As they got closer, these women did not appear very friendly. Jim and Pete also immediately heard a terrifying cry behind them. As they turned, they saw a group of Aqua warriors with their spears raised, ready to throw. Now, Jim Elliott had a gun, and he went to reach for his gun, but Jim and his friends had made a pact that they would not take the life of somebody who would not go to heaven. If they had to choose between whose life to take, they would let their own life be taken because they knew where they were going. And in the face of danger... Jim did not go for his gun, but at, as the aquas began to get closer and closer, the spears were thrown in their direction, and eventually, one by one, each of these five young missionaries were martyred for their faith. Roger, Pete, Jim, Nate, and Ed McCauley, all five of these men were never seen by their loved ones again. Obviously, word, they, uh, they missed their first radio contact with their family. They were getting worried. And after some time, eventually, the uh, military was sent out to look for them. And eventually, uh, four of the five bodies were found. And I don't remember which of the bodies wasn't, was never found, was assumed to have floated down the river. But the other four were found by the soldiers, and they were buried uh, properly so. And talk about a devastating time. Here's young guys in their early 30s, late 20s, still had their whole life ahead of them. They were excited. They, had just, they were just getting that language down. It seemed like everything was going just perfect and that God was, had it all under control. Yet for some reason, God allowed for these five men to be martyred. News began to spread quickly, and eventually, as word would get around, 
this uh, Aqua tribe was, was in trouble because the, mil the government was wanting, to get, was wanting to rid them and their one chance to, to, to be out was these five men to be safe, but they wouldn't listen. Well, as many of us know the story of Jim Elliot, and I suppose many of us do, it obviously doesn't end right there. Really, it, from, from a non-Christian standpoint, the unthinkable happens next. Uh, many of these ladies here, Jim's wife, Jim Elliott's wife, and I believe Nate Saint's wife, and uh, some other people would eventually continue on the, the journey of these five men. They would, they would continue on the missions, and some of the wives of these very men, one of them being Jim Elliott's wife, would eventually help and go back to the same aqua people, to the same people that killed their husbands, would go back would establish relations with the Aquas and would eventually, one by one, lead many of them to Jesus Christ. One by one, these ladies and some of them eventually brought other missionaries with them as years would go on. And because of these five men who were willing to give their life, for some reason, God didn't allow, it, allow them to be the ones to see the fruits. But it was the faithfulness and the the forgiveness of their wives that was able to come back and see these aquas come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I'm summarizing the story here. There's a lot more that goes into it. But to see and uh, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife, she has today written many, many books. Uh, I think I read over 30 books. She's traveled the world, and it wasn't until uh, just five years ago in 2015 where she finally, uh, she passed away. And her daughter is still alive today. Nate Saint's son is still alive today. And many of them, you can go on YouTube and you can look, and many of them have given, um, have given stories and told stories about their parents and have helped narrate some stories as people have gone and have refilmed in locations where their parents were and can see today that the Aquas today are still known as one of the most friendly tribes in the Ecuador area. Whereas one point, the government was getting ready to go in and take them out. Now they're known as one of the most friendly tribes. And Elizabeth Elliot helped create, make a movie about this Operation Aqua, which, is, which was the name of the operation that these five men came up with. Operation Aqua, to see the Aquas be saved. And uh, this movie can be seen today. It's called Through, uh, Through the Gates of Splendor. And you can look that up yourself. Perhaps you've seen it already. And it, it's a little bit older of a movie. But it showed real life scenes and footage of these five missionaries on the beach with the friendly aquas. And also includes footage of the two years that Elizabeth and her daughter spent in the aqua village witnessing to, these, to this tribe. And it's a, uh, it's a tremendous story. This is a picture here of Elizabeth and Valerie Elliott's, Jim Elliott's uh, wife and child, only child. Sad to say, too, this whole event took place when Valerie was uh, 10 months old. So she never really knew her father, never really got to spend time with him. Jim Elliott's mission and legacy is one that still goes on today. 
And what makes Jamelia as famous of a missionary as he is, is all because, mostly because, of his diary. His diary was found, and in his diary was full of tremendous uh, biblical quotes. Quotes that he found while reading the scriptures and while talking about God with his friends. And this journal is full of quotes. And as mentioned, one of his most famous quotes was that quote uh, that we're going to look at a little bit later on. Jim Elliot embodies this, the life of this verse found in Luke chapter 9 and verse 24. And I'll read it for you. Luke 9, 24 says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. I don't mean to just point out Jim Elliot and leave out the other four who gave, willingly gave their lives for the gospel as well. During his lifetime, Jim Elliot longed for more people to become missionaries. But perhaps that only happened because of his death. Because of his death, was it televised? Was it published throughout? Five missionaries martyred was published all throughout the world. Because of his death, the awareness and the need for missions grew beyond anything that he could have ever imagined. Why? Because of his death. Because Jim Elliot realized in his four friends that I can live for my life for myself, but my life I'll lose someday. But whosoever will lose his life for the name, for the sake of Christ, the same shall save it. It was in his death that we found the missions fields becoming what it was in the area of Ecuador, especially. The legacy of Jim Elliot has been greatly remembered, as I said, mainly because of his journal that he kept. And these quotes are still stirring hearts today, almost 60 decades later. We're going to watch a short movie, and this movie we've actually showed in our missions conference, I guess almost exactly a year ago today. If you remember our missions conference about a year ago, each night of the conference we showed a small video of a, a different missionary. And on one of those nights, we emphasized Jim Elliott. And you're, what you're going to see is Valerie Elliott narrating this film talking about her father and her mother and talking a little bit about the story that I just told you. And after that is done, it's just a few minutes long. After that is a video, it goes right into it. It's just one video. It'll go right into an evangelist who, and you might remember this from last year, who basically preaches some quotes from all from Jim Elliott's journal. And you probably will recognize it. So it's just about five or so minutes long. So we're going to show that now. And I guess uh, I'll let you guys just turn it and click it. I don't want to mess anything up. My mother and father lived this complete commitment to obedience to God. And they lived out that even in their courtship, that their feelings were second place and obedience to God was first place. My father was determined to bring the gospel to people who had never heard of Jesus Christ before. planned with four other men to go in and uh, be friends to the Alcas. The Alcas had been known as killers. They killed other people just a few years before. 
one of the wives says, you know, you might, said, you might be killed. And one of them said, well, we're ready to die, but these Alcas are not. And the first Alka visit was friendly. So they were really praising the Lord and saying, this is the Lord's blessing. And the second visit was an ambush of 10 men coming upon the five men and the 10 Alka men speared them all to death brutally. My mother lived by Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you and the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And though she missed my dad greatly and they had a fantastic love story, she accepted. And that was really her, one of her life themes was teaching in acceptance lieth peace. She continued to pray for the Alcas as my father had done. And she said, Lord, if I'm available, if you want me to go into these Alcas, open the door. They invited us to come live with them. They said, we want to follow God. We're not living like God wants us to live. So the legacy has continued on my mother writing books and speaking. She's written almost 30 books and she has spoken on this obedience to God no matter what the cost. Doesn't matter what your feelings are. Don't live by your feelings. Live by obedience to scripture and be brave and, and daring enough to go instead of staying at home because of the ifs and the what ifs. I believe we're supposed to be witnesses to anybody and everybody. The legacy has been much of it. My father's quotes, his way of complete abandonment to the will of God. One of my favorite quotes that he said in his journal that was is not as well known as he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, which is very famous now. But my favorite is when he said, I have covenanted with the Father that he would either glorify himself to the utmost in me or slay me. And I believe God did both. Our dreams are tawdry showy but cheap and of poor quality when they are compared to the leading of God. They are not worthy of the aura of wonder we usually surround them with. God only doeth wonders. His hand can work nothing less. In my own experience, I have found that the most extravagant dreams of boyhood have not surpassed the great experience of being in God's will. I believe that nothing could be better. His will is always a bigger thing than we bargain for. But we must believe that whatever it involves, it is good, acceptable, and perfect. Father, let me loose my clutch on everything temporal, my life, my possessions. Lord, help me release the tension of my grasping hand. Open it as Christ's was opened to receive the nail of Calvary that I might be unleashed from all that binds me. God, saturate me with the oil of the Spirit, that I may be aflame. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Surely those who know the great compassionate heart of God must deny their own loves 
to share in the expression of his. Compelled by his call from the throne above, from those round about, and even from the damned souls below, I dare not stay home while others perish. It makes me boil when I think of the power we profess and the utter impotency of our action. We are spiritual pacifists in this battle to the death with principalities and powers in high places. American believers have sold their lives to the service of mammon, and the tombs themselves are not colder than our well-fed churches. Their condemnation is written in the dust on their Bible covers. We are content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. Young men are going into professional fields because they don't feel called. We don't need a call. We need a kick in the pants. We need a stirring. May God send us forth, because he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I pray that the Lord will give you a hallowed daredevil spirit in lifting the sword of truth, consuming you with a passion that is called by the cultured citizen of Christendom fanaticism, but known to God as that saintly madness that led his son through bloody sweat and hot tears to glory. How long dare we go on without passion and love? Not long, I pray, Lord Jesus, not long. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We come back to this quote that's so often given to him. He is no fool to give that which he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. Who are you living your life for today? We live our lives for, for mammon, for things that thieves can break through and steal, or are we living our life for the eternal, for something that only, really the only thing that is useful in life? I, I think the life of Jim Elliot speaks for himself. As we consider today a man who is willing to give his life to the Lord, what are we willing to give in return? Hard for us to give just a few hours a week on, on, for church. Hard for us to come on Saturdays for an hour to pass out some flyers. It's hard for us to get out of bed for 10 minutes to talk to God. What are we willing to give for our great God? Bow with me as we close in prayer and thank the Lord. And I challenge you, if God has spoken to your heart, to within your heart, just ask the Lord to help us be more for him. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the life of Jim Elliot and not just Jim Elliot, but his other four friends, Roger and Pete, Nate and Ed, and so many other Christians all throughout our world that have given their life for you. So many who have been martyred and slain, the apostles, those during the times of the Inquisition and so many other times, even in modern times and in other countries, 
in atheistic countries where the gospel is hated. And Lord, we have people around us that have and are giving so much for you. Yet I fear the average Christian struggles to give just a few minutes a day with you. We get, we're too tired to, to even go soul winning. We're too tired to even come to church when we only come perhaps when it's convenient. We don't have the faith to even give for faith promise missions. We struggle to tithe. Lord, we, we're just, as Christianity as a general, we're just a mess. We have our priorities backwards. Help us to consider today where our priorities are and where they should be. And help us to see how, where we can be even better for you. Lord, thank you for the life of Jim and his friends. And I pray that you would help us to consider our life and where we should be even today. Lord, bless us now, we pray in your name. Amen.